Hello and welcome to this week's episode in Season 2 of the Multi-Channel Success Podcast. My name is David Warby and I'm delighted to have with me David Conn from the Multi-Channel Expert. Hello. Today we've chosen to talk a little bit about digital culture and process. Now, you may be thinking that these two things are quite separate, and indeed, maybe they are. But today we're looking to explore how a digital culture comes about, how it evolves, and how it sits within, in some cases, a wider organisational culture that it maybe doesn't always align with. Appended to it is the conversation about process and how the opportunity exists for businesses to think more actively about their processes uh, with the view to making them more efficient and therefore giving the organisation a better return on its investment. But that's all for a little bit later. Let's start with what we mean by a digital culture. Now, David, I've always thought that digital culture is kind of something that just comes about. But then also we know that sometimes people define it and kind of live by it. What's your experience of it? I think I'd like to start by looking at the what of digital culture. So what are the things that an organisation has to take into account if it's to be digital? First thing I'd say is traffic, the way in which you attract your customers, the way in which you market and communicate to your customers and your prospective customers is increasingly digital. The second thing is the selling of product, whether you're selling online or whether you're selling in store or indeed whether you're selling through a marketplace. That selling process, that conversion process is again increasingly digital And the third piece of the jigsaw is service. Once you've sold something, how you deliver it, how you communicate your delivery to the customer, how you deal with the after-sales, again, that is increasingly digital. An organisation that has a digital culture is one where throughout the organisation they understand all of those three things and they all incorporate it into their daily working routines and the way in which they think about doing their jobs. So I think that's interesting because if the what is different from the way it used to be when we were all in short trousers, then presumably the how is different too. So how you go about engaging an audience, converting them and then offering them a service is is, is now very different from the way it used to be, um, where you kind of relied upon more traditional skills and capabilities. You're now more reliant upon digital and remote capabilities. Would that would that be true? Well, I think you've often talked about how what defines a culture mm. is how people behave, how they do things. So maybe, you know, you've got some words to say on this. Yeah, I, I think it... I think we've, we've all been in organisations that kind of define what they want the culture to be and then issue it as an edict and everyone's supposed to be like it. And, I, and I'm sure there are many examples where that's been successful. But the ones where I think there is more success, in my experience, is ones where people have understood um, how individuals behave and uh, sought in cases to moderate how they behave, but then to enshrine that behaviour in how they want the organisation to think about culture. So, for an example, do we all sit there with our own worksheets, working through our own things, and at the end of the week get up and and go home? Um, Or do we actually collaborate? Do we actually share information? 
uh, in a kind of transparent and kind of dynamic way and therefore receive the benefit that comes from uh, a number of people working simultaneously on similar related tasks immediately defines a culture of, of, of those that want to work together collaboratively rather than those who just want to sit in the corner with the headphones on and do their own thing. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but it can sometimes not get the best benefit out. Yeah, I mean, but look, both of us come from very strong traditional retail backgrounds and we both worked our way into the digital side. And I think we're now, to some extent, wrestling with the interaction between digital and traditional. And one of the yeah, things yeah. I've found very much when I started in retail, it was a very top-down approach. Uh, there was an edict, as you say, issued from above, and then that was translated into a strategy, and that was translated into a plan, and you had to follow the plan meticulously. Digital hasn't completely changed that, but it has made a big difference to the way in which people do their jobs. You can be much more agile. You can be much more dynamic. You can be much more iterative. You can do thousands of small things, and by doing those small things, learn an awful lot by doing, rather than doing one or two massive projects, which may or may not go off the rails. Yeah, no, I think, I think you're absolutely right. I think we could all remember those days where we sat there on a Monday morning and we kind of received mm-hmm. our instructions, and we were told what defined a good week and a bad week. And I just think those days are gone now. I think people empowered with both the tools to do the job within a framework of a, of a culture that is acceptable to the organisation, i.e. collaborate or don't, go off and explore um, what they can achieve with what they've got. And the net result of their efforts is evaluated in a way we could never evaluate it in the old days. You know, we used to open the doors and put the sign out, and that was about all you could really... You could, <laughs> remember the days of actually trying to count the number of customers that walked in. Goodness gracious, that, that Absolutely. me. But, now, the data exists to work out very quickly how successful an individual has been today. And I rather like the analogy that was used with me a few months ago by a retailer who kind of said, I can now actually sit with each of the individuals in my organization and ask them to tell me what are they doing, which customer group is it aimed at, and what are the results that you're trying to achieve likely to be. And that isn't a strategic thing. It's an operational thing that will have a result at the end of today, or at the very least at the end of the week, so that we can see whether those energies have been well spent. So I guess that, that leads to my question, which is, if that is the case, what, why, why are we still talking about this? We, you know, you and I both started in digital 15, 20 years ago. Why are we still discussing whether an organisation has a digital culture, whether it's digital enough? Yeah, I think that's a, a really good question. Maybe we're, maybe we're not speaking loudly enough, or maybe the message isn't getting through. But I guess... What makes it true is that digital is still, by those that assess it through its revenue contribution, still the smallest part of my business. I'm sure for many of the people listening, um, they'll have maybe FDs and CEOs who still regard digital to be a small part of the business. Now, whether that's because it contributes a small percentage of the revenue mix or whether it's a small percentage of the traffic or the eyeballs of the week or whatever it is, They still think of it that way. And therefore, the organization has a culture that pre-exists digital. So what's happening is digital teams are evolving through process of, as you mentioned, agility and iteration. 
that means they're developing their own cultures that sometimes don't sit naturally within the framework of a business culture. And that creates tension. Yeah. And I think the, the other thing I would reflect on, and, and I've always hated the term silo mentality because I think it's overused and becomes a bit of a cliche. The, the way I prefer to look at it is people have got jobs to do. And most people want to keep their jobs as simple as they possibly can. So if you were a buyer and you're used to buying for two seasons or three seasons and you're used to buying in stock quantities that go into shops, suddenly you're faced with all of this data that says, well, this range isn't working and I can tell you after two days and I can also tell you what might make that range better. Suddenly you've got a lot of opportunity, but that opportunity means a lot more work and it means a different way of thinking about how you do your job. And the same is true for many functions within an organisation. It's probably true for every function in an organisation. So reorientating the organisation to incorporate the data they get from digital, incorporate the channels that digital offers, and incorporate this new way of thinking, which is more agile and dynamic, it's a challenge. It's not entirely straightforward so maybe that's why we're still talking yeah, about it and I, I think our our predecessors maybe were wiser than we gave them credit for in the sense that they recognized this was going to have impact into the organization so let's just keep it in a discrete corner let's just keep it away from the rest of the organization for fear that it kind of affects the wider organization but of course what we've realized is it, it ultimately becomes the organization i'm not, not saying that traditional retail is dead of course but the organisation, uh, most organisations recognise the need to become at least more digital, if not digital in itself. And therefore, you're faced with the challenge that many of our listeners, I'm sure, are grappling with, is when is the time to integrate digital back into the wider business? At what point is it everybody's job to think digital, rather than just those experts on digital sat in the corner? Now, my personal view on this is that there is... A point. There is an inflection point at which the maturity of the organisation cannot continue without the whole organisation being digital. In our maturity model, we talk about this as the inflection point. And many businesses have grasped it. Many businesses have disbanded their, their traditional digital business where they started and made it everybody's job to contribute to the digital consequence of the business. And I think there are success stories and, and, and maybe some others that we could point to that kind of suggest that point is not the same for every organisation. It's a very individual thing. Um, reaching a point of, of financial maturity and reaching a point at which you, potentially you start to see plateauing performance it would suggest you've reached that point. But there are many other factors as well. Yes, I think the question of what is the appropriate organisation structure is a complex one, but I agree with you that digital a digital understanding, at the very least, has to be part of everyone's role, whatever they do. The question of when it becomes an organisational change, I think, does depend on the extent to which digital is an integral part of what they do. And if I were to make a distinction, I'd say if uh, I'm a finance department, I obviously want people to have a digital understanding. I want them to look at the way in which we spend our money in a slightly different way, potentially, than the way they might have done if we were 
putting a new store down or spending two million quid on a new range. If I'm in marketing where this whole discipline has become increasingly digital, I think I want to see a more integrated approach. I want to see a single marketing department. And I'm speaking as somebody who my most recent business, we had a brand marketing department and we had a digital marketing department and we merged the two of them, not entirely successfully, culturally, but we were certainly trying to move in the right direction. Yeah, I think I think one of the other factors I mentioned that there are any more that can affect that you just touched on it is the individuals. If the individuals are motivated in the right way, um, then you potentially have more upside than not. But if they're not, and they seek to to return to traditional behaviour, then it can be counterproductive for the organisation to have, in effect, integrated everybody together. But if everybody's aligned around the same motivations and the same benefits that come from success, then that integration can ultimately be the the fuel that drives the business to the next level. Absolutely. And I also think there's, I mean, people often talk about an education process, but uh, I think one shouldn't underestimate that the skills that are required, the requirements of the customer, the requirements of the channel may be different. Yeah. Than we certainly yeah. are. So... If I go back to my experience at Heels, we had a very good photography team, really good at choosing locations, really good at dressing them, really good at making our product look fantastic for paper catalogues. Mm, mm. Now, first challenge was what looks good in a paper catalogue may not look very good on a website. So you've got to educate, you've got to learn how to create better creative material for that channel. Then suddenly you're looking at social. You're looking at both your organic social and your paid social. You're thinking, okay, now I need some different creative material. Now I need maybe moving imagery. Yeah. Mm. And it's not just a question of how do I feel about this. It's not just a question of, oh, this isn't what um, I like to do. It's a question of I don't actually know how to do this. I've got to learn a whole new skill just when I thought, I really knew what I was doing. And uh, that's a good analogy because I remember an organisation that I worked in that probably needs to remain nameless because they're still around, who used to insist that the digital team produce business cases for why in that scenario the photography team should go away and produce different types of photography for them. And I think that you know creating internal markets creates barriers and it also creates reasons not to do things. And I think organisations that require that to be completed before anything can change... I think is 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 maybe more than more than unfortunate. And and just just to add a bit of unnecessary gloss on this, but it again, if you uh, have ever been to a photo shoot for furniture, you'll know that what you see is not what there is. <laughs> You've got a tiny quarter of a room in a nice house that has been dressed, but everything around it is <laughs> undressed. Box. It's cameras. It's shelves it's whatever it is and so to move from doing static imagery to video imagery it's practically more complicated so it's it's not I say it's not just a question of attitude it's not just a question of skill sometimes you're introducing things which are going to introduce more complexity and cost into your operation I'd, I'd also just to like to say one other thing on this topic which is we tend to spend a lot of time looking at how can digital 
bring itself? How can you make an organization more digital? I think sometimes we forget how can a digital part of the business make itself more aware of what what the business requires. And one specific area for me is around brand building. There are a lot of traditional skills in brand advertising when we used to do lots of TV and radio that I think have been lost in mm. digital. Digital yeah, is so statistical. It's, it's so methodical how you find your customer base, how you put the right message it's in front of It's data-driven, I suppose. It's data-driven, exactly. Yeah. And what we've lost a bit is that creative element that says, actually, you've got to tug at the heartstrings a bit more. You've got to capture the imagination it's not just a numbers game. And, and I think as digital teams and as digital organisations, we, we really need to make sure that we bring some of those old traditional skills back into play. Yeah, more prominently. I, yeah I can see that. I mean, I think there's a slight pushback here in the sense that, you know, creating all these things costs money and we have to have some confidence that our investments are going to return what we expect. And I think there, there has been in the past examples of where creativity for the sake of creativity doesn't necessarily drive value. But with data at our disposal and with the, the notion of being able to iterate and test many things um, combined with a truly creative approach, we should be able to get something that works. Maybe we should take a break here for a message from our sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by Better Commerce. Ever struggled with how to get your online store started or feel like you've been left behind with old and dated technology? Well, Better Commerce offers a completely composable commerce stack that allows retailers to upgrade their technology with a combination of flexibility and out-of-the-box features. When better is available, good is not enough. Better Commerce, your composable commerce partner. How do you bring these new skills, these new thoughts, these new analyses, all of this data... How, how do you stop that making the business unnecessarily complicated? How do you, st- you know, we, we want things to be fast. How do we, how do we stop digital actually slowing things down? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I guess that's not, not a question I spend too much time personally thinking about, although it's true that with infinite amounts of data, um, and without the right tools to be able to work out what that data is saying, it could become ponderous to make decisions that are in the business best interests. But I do think the second part of the the title of this podcast was about kind of um, process. And I think, for me, process is, if you like, almost the unforgotten or rather the forgotten cousin here. And what we all hear about regularly is... I need to do something different. Either I need to do something I'm not doing, and therefore I either need some technology to help me do it, or I need a person to do it. And for every time I've heard that in recent times, I've thought to myself, just adding something into the mix without considering what I should take out of the mix is a bit of a miss. In other words, we can't keep doing more with less. Adding more in, whether it's technology or people, has to come with a corollary. And that corollary for me is making sure that your business processes are efficient. Now, apologies to everybody. It sounds really dull and really boring. But the process that is in my mind is the process that connects people and technology to the ambition that you've set. How efficient are they or it at getting from where they start to where you want them to be? 
it's often something we don't think about. And as we're iterative and we're layering more things to do on the top of more things to do, there are frequent occasions when we should stop and reflect whether all of the things that we're continuing to do are still relevant and still adding value. It's almost like I've created 10 more things I want to do this week. So which five from last week am I no longer actually going to do? It's a bit of a housekeeping thing. Well, that, David, that for me is more about focus, which I think we've talked about quite a lot when we were looking at business performance and driving how to drive performance. I thought you were driving in a slightly different direction there, which is so was looking at how we do certain things in order to, I don't know, cut steps out of the process, maybe to look at the workflow and make sure that different people that are responsible for those those stages in the in the workflow get them done i mean yeah. i think you were giving me some examples earlier on yeah i think there's in my head we have people doing tasks that are largely defined by their job descriptions and they do those tasks to the best i think of their ability given the tools that we give them but there are times when they could be so much more efficient not by giving them more technology necessarily but by understanding the step-by-step process they go through in order to do it. I'll give an example of something that happened a while ago. Um, someone said to me, I can't do that until this batch run has completed at right, four yeah. in the morning. Okay. So the traditional way of thinking is, right, so that person cannot now start until 4.30 in the morning or 5 in the morning when that batch process is finished. But let's evaluate why that batch process happens when it happens. Should it, could it happen at a different point? which might make a whole 24 hours difference, or 23 and a half hours difference, to that person's ability to do their job in a timely manner. So getting under the skin of how you do what you do um, is, I think, probably a kind of forgotten art. And because we're so, f- we're so ready to add more things in and run faster and faster and faster, we're forgetting that some of the core things we do can be done so much more efficiently if we just occasionally stop, pause, and do a drains up on the workflow that's party to that kind of task. Yeah, I mean, certainly one of the areas that where I think this is writ large is the whole process of getting products on a website. Yes, and good example. I'm guessing anybody that's worked within a multi-channel retailer or an e-commerce operation is aware of how difficult that is and how easy it is to blame another part of the organisation for not giving you the descriptions or not putting the products into the ERP soon enough or not getting the photography. It's incredibly easy to down tools while mm. you wait for somebody else to do something. Um, and I think that's a sort of area where looking at your business process, mapping the workflow... If you can use a tool to identify that workflow so that everybody knows what they're responsible for at every given point in time, then you're able to make things significantly more efficient and you're able, in this particular case, to get products on the website in time. I think what sparked me off on this was five or six years ago when I first saw, well, I saw for the first time kind of how product information management, otherwise known as PIM, workflow effectively brought the work to people rather than having to go and find it um, made me think well actually if if a simple workflow tool within a within a product information management system 
can increase the efficiency of an organisation by delivering work to people uh, in a transparent way so everybody could see exactly where we were at any point in time, how much more efficient could an organisation be um, if the same was applied to a wider portfolio of tasks? And I think in retail particularly, we're quite deficient in this respect. I think if you go into engineering companies or you look at manufacturing companies, there is a greater degree of scrutiny and study of that process and workflow is a baked-in, normalised kind of um, uh, skill, uh, whereas in retail we kind of haven't adopted it. We've just got lots of people and lots of technology and best endeavours produce the results, yeah. slightly harshly. Of course. I, I do think it's important to remember that you can't be entirely process-driven and there has to be a balance. I. You know, historically, I've tended to work in small, medium organisations and I've always taken great pride in how output-driven we were. I think we could definitely have been more process-efficient. I think if we'd stopped to think about things a bit more, we'd have got more out of the teams and this, and, and we'd have caused less angst with, mm. with other teams and, and third parties. What we're grappling with there offline was the three pillars of how to resolve this kind of conundrum. One was about process. We've talked about that. To start with, we started talking about culture. I think the third bit is capability. And I think capability, we've talked about organisational structure, but clearly finding the right skill sets things that are to some extent not entirely understood is an art form and I know later in the series we're going to be talking about HR challenges and finding the right people for the things that are around the corner for us but I think I think as part of this conversation we couldn't get away without mentioning the importance of capability. Yes and and as I say we did touch on the fact that new skills have to be learned in non-digital departments if you like and also within the digital departments. I think a, a good place you know, often to start with this is, is to a- assess what are the skills that you need in order to do what you need to do. You would generally know where you're deficient, whether it's technical, whether it's commercial, whether it's creative. You'll generally have a pretty good idea. But as David said, I think we'll come back in a later podcast to how you go about building the right capability within your organisation. Yeah, I think we will. I think we might have a guest speaker for that in a few weeks' time. That'll be good. Okay, look, time is pressing. We're getting near to the end of this one, but I just think we should wrap up for our listeners with, okay, that's all well and good, guys, but what do I do now? Um, Mm. So I think this this message is principally for those who believe that the culture in the organisation, if it was improved... Uh, broadened, could produce better results, and those maybe also who believe that getting under the surface of how their teams do what they do could equally yield some positive benefits that when collectively put together could be meaningful for the organisation. So what's our advice to people in terms of um, what they might want to think about next? Yeah, uh, the question I think that's underpinned a lot of our podcast thus far is what are the things I should be focusing on to what extent should I be bothered about how digital the culture is within my organization and I think I would start from a very simple place here which is how well are you doing how well are you doing through your digital channels are you performing well and how well are you performing through your non-digital channels um 
That's a, a simple question. Do you think you're underachieving against your potential as a business and as a brand? Now, I know we have a slight disagreement on this, which is a healthy one, because I'm a great believer in um, fixing the roof when the sun is shining. So if you're a business out there um, who's doing well, uh, but you know that there are issues boiling around the culture of your organisation or the tension between the wider business culture and your digital culture, or you believe that there's value to be had in understanding how the processes could be improved, I think now is the time to do it. Indeed. D- David's somewhat more forward-looking than I am in these regards. I, I, <laughs> I would to, never say that. I David. like to make hay while the sun shines. I know. The, the second question I would ask is, uh, and this is slightly, may sound like a soft question, but is is how happy are you and your team? How well are people working together? It's it's pretty easy to know. If you're an organisation and team where you always feel like you're being held back or your other departments in the business think you're holding them back, if you're a department where people are constantly arguing or at each other's throats and it may be in the most pleasant way um, then I think I think you know I think you know when you have to dedicate more time and energy to improving your digital culture so I would take a little happiness measure a little happiness check if you're unhappy if they're unhappy probably means you've got to do something about it well that sounds good that sounds great to me I think the, the final thing I would just add in before we wrap this one up is that This is maybe one of the more difficult things to do when you're immersed in the business and sometimes it's a little bit difficult to see the wood for the trees, uh, particularly if you've been with the organisation for a while. So if you've got an inkling that there's some value to be extracted but you're not sure how to do it, then I think the best thing to do is to pick the phone up to a third party. Prospero exists but many others do also. To give you a perspective on how to look at this, uh, because I am a great believer that there's value to be had here. And in the current climate, I think anything that adds incremental value without adding too much incremental cost has surely got to be a good thing. Yes, absolutely. I think you, you mentioned earlier on that we have a massive tendency when we're faced with a problem to reach for a technical solution. We think if we buy this piece of software, it's going to solve all our problems. We have an equally big tendency to say, I need more people in order to do this. Mm -hmm. In the current environment, neither of these arguments are going to be particularly popular. So the the, the premise that you can solve things through more efficient processes and through thinking more digitally for having this more digital culture, it's got to be attractive um, because it's going to be a less costly, less disruptive way of achieving what you want to achieve. Very good. Very good. Okay, we're going to finish there. I'm going to say thank you to my co-host, David. And I'll say thank you to my co-host, David. Fantastic. And we'll say thank you to our listeners, and we hope you enjoyed that. We'd love your feedback, and we'd love to see you again on the next one. Thanks to our sponsor, Better Commerce. When better is available, good is not enough. Better Commerce, your composable commerce partner.